Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Pirkei Avos podcast. This is Rabbi Shlomo Kohn, where we live with the ethics of the Torah. If you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Kohn with a K at gmail.com. I'd love to hear from you. For this week, we begin with Perek Hey Mishnah Yud Zion, Chapter 5, Mishnah 17. We're moving right along in, in this chapter. And for this week, we're going to discuss the different types of traits that are found by different types of people when it comes to going to the study hall. And I wanted to discuss, we'll discuss the Mishnah, the simple understanding of the Mishnah, and also some important lessons that we can all use and take out from the Mishnah, no matter who we are or what situation in life we may be. So the Mishnah begins. There are four types among those who go to the house of study. We're continuing with the sets of four, as I mentioned. Number one, somebody who goes but does not study. What does he have? He has the reward for going. And we'll explain what that means. Number two, someone who studies but does not attend the house of study, does not go to the synagogue, does not go to the place of worship to go study. The Mishnah refers to him as the, the, the Mishnah says on him that he has reward for accomplishment, meaning for studying the Torah. That even though he didn't go to the to the to the study hall, he didn't go to the base Hamedrish, the house of study, he still gets reward for studying because he's doing. Number three is chasid. That somebody who goes to the study hall and learns, what do we refer to him as? A chasid a righteous person. And lastly, the fourth type of person that the Mishnah is listing is he doesn't go to the study hall and he does not study. And how do we refer to him? The Mishnah says on him, Russia. He's a wicked person. So we have four different types of people that are listed in the Mishnah. And it seems like some of them are, are studying but not going. Some are going but not studying. Some are doing both. Some are doing neither. Now, the first point which comes to mind is the two types of reward we see when it comes to this Mishnah. We have the first individual who goes to the study hall. He wants to go and learn Torah. But for whatever the reason is, he does not end up learning. He does not end up studying. He does not end up accomplishing what he set out to do. The Mishnah says on him, he gets reward for going. He's rewarded for taking the steps to the study hall. That's one type of reward. And the other reward we see is for somebody who goes to the study hall and he learns or 
He doesn't go to the study hall, but he learns where he is, that he gets the reward for learning. And somebody who obviously goes and learns, he gets both rewards. So the first point I want to bring out is in Judaism, there is a concept of getting rewarded for the effort. And we talked about this previously, that someone who puts an effort to do something good to accomplish is rewarded just for trying. Even if his, his efforts bear no fruit, he is not successful in his endeavor, he still gets rewarded from Hashem. He gets rewarded from God. So the person who went to the study hall with a good intention to try and study, to try and learn, to try to be better, he gets schar, and that's the Hebrew word for reward. He gets reward. And even more than that, besides forgetting the reward, it affects him as a person. The actual act of getting up out of his house, out of his comfort zone, and going to the synagogue, and going to the study hall, and going to do it, even though he didn't finish what he, he intended to do, that's changing him as a person because he's pushing himself. And that's a good thing. And he gets rewarded for that. And Hashem, how he set up the system was that every ounce of effort, or less than an ounce even, every bit of effort that a person puts in to improve himself, he is going to be rewarded for that. So obviously we want to do the best we can. We want to get the, the reward for going and the reward for studying. But even if a person goes and doesn't accomplish what he wanted to do, he still gets reward. And it sort of reminds me about a joke. You know, my, my father, you know, may he be gesund, may he live and be well. He always jokes around that in Brooklyn, you know, there's a shoal on every block, but always the guy on his block, he doesn't daven by the shoal on his block. He always davens by the shoal, the synagogue on the other block or the one five blocks away. Because this is how we are, Jewish people sometimes, you know? The joke, there's a famous joke that said about a Jew who's found on a, stranded on a desert island and they come to rescue him. And when they get there to the island, they see he built it up. It's a beautiful house. There's a garden. There's everything he needs is built. And they see that there's two synagogues. So they ask him, I, I understand why you built the house. I understand why you built the garden. But why did you need two synagogues? Like one makes sense. It's just you. Why did you need the second one? I said, oh, that's the one I don't go to. You know, just a um, cute anecdote. But the point is, is that sometimes going, the, the effort of just going, um, and, and some people have this custom that they, or they try to specifically get that schar halicha, the schar for going, by going to the shul that's a little farther, if that's the right shul for them. Because they have that in mind. When they're going to that further shul, they want to get the schar, the reward, for and the effort for going to synagogue. And if it's right there, that's right next to them, then they won't necessarily get that reward. But either way, the point is that the that every bit of effort we put in, Hashem will reward us for it. And like we said previously, as much effort we put in, the more reward we get. We do want to accomplish as well. And that's important. The mission was going to discuss it. But we should know that just the efforts already make us better as a person. And number two, will yield us rewards, God willing, in the next world. So let's continue. The second point I wanted to bring out 
is going again on this first point of the Mishnah of Hoylech have you ever heard of the term a Jew at heart or a cardiac Jew? Many times you'll meet people, maybe they're not so affiliated, but they'll tell you that they're a Jew in their heart. Maybe they're not so observant or maybe they are, are more secular, but they have a very strong Jewish identity. They identify as a Jew. It's important to them being Jewish. Maybe they don't, maybe it doesn't translate into doing, but they very much inside in their being, they care about Jewish people, they care that they're Jewish, it means something to them, but it doesn't necessarily turn into action. So this, I sometimes refer to as a Jew in, in the heart, a cardiac Jew meaning they feel it, they feel connected, they feel it. But the problem is, is that the that feeling doesn't necessarily translate into action, into doing. So the mission is giving us an insight that when it comes to Yiddishkeit, we need to be Jews in action. Although it is very beautiful and it is special that someone should be a Jew at heart. And it's there is something which is praiseworthy that someone should have a care about Yiddishkeit, about Judaism, to be proud about their heritage, to feel that connection. But it's extremely important for each and every one of us to take that feeling and put it into something concrete, which is Torah, mitzvot, observance, doing, going. We can't just have the feeling and do nothing with it. As we know, we've talked about this before, inspiration. When we have inspiration to be better people, if we don't take the inspiration and channel it into, a, into something real, it goes away and nothing comes of it. And similarly could be said about Judaism. We have to be Jews at heart, but we also have to be Jews that do, that go, that accomplish, that or attempt to accomplish, to try to do good. We can't just have that feeling. We can't just identify as Jews. We must act as Jews, which means by performing the mitzvot and learning Torah. And that's really part of the idea of this Mishnah because this Mishnah, the first case refers to someone who goes, but he doesn't take what he, he you know, it could also be referring to somebody who, who maybe, does he he learns, but he doesn't apply it to himself. He knows the rules. He knows the, some halachos. He knows some Torah, but he doesn't take it and put it to heart. Because I, he says, I'm a Jew at heart. We have to realize we need to be Jews in action. So although this person who, who learns, he gets the reward, he, he gets rewarded, who goes, but he doesn't learn, he gets rewarded. So he, he still needs to be or we need to be people who are going to do as well and can't just be cardiac, cannot be in the heart. We have to go and accomplish and do and do the best we can. Now, it's very interesting just to bring out this idea a little further. The Mishnah later on in this chapter actually brings down a very famous Mishnah and we'll get to it in a few weeks, God willing. It's Mishnah 
23, chapter 5, Mishnah 23. The Mishnah states a little bit later on as follows. Yehuda ben Tema Oimer, Yehuda ben Tema says, Havi az kenemer, be brazen as a leopard, vikal kenesher, and be light as an eagle, rots kitzvi, swift as a deer, vigibor kaari, and strong as a lion, laasos, to do, to carry out, to, to accomplish, to do what your Father in Heaven wants from you. So the mission is telling us about an attitude when it comes to our Yiddishkeit. Just like a, a, a leopard is bold, it acts decisively. And a nesher, an eagle, is, is, is um, light as an eagle. It could jump up and fly on, on, on a moment's notice. It can just go off of a branch. And a deer is able to be extremely swift and fast. And, and a, a lion is extremely strong. We have to have these emotions and these feelings when it comes to Judaism and the practice of Judaism. It can't just be something which stays inside of us. It has to be something which is we bring out with action. And, you know, a person might say to themselves, you know, these feelings to be brazen as a leopard, light as an eagle, swift as a deer, strong as a lion, to do the will of our Father in heaven, these are for, these feelings, these emotions are the levels of the greats of our generation. It's for the big rabbis. It's for the great and holy people. It's not for me, this a simpleton. How can I relate to these emotions, these feelings, these connection to what I do? So I feel that this is something which we all could connect to, to have a feeling for the things we do in Yiddishkeit and especially in the actions that we do. There's an expression that when we do a mitzvah, you should do it with a bren. And in Yiddish, bren means with a, with a fire, with a burn. It means we should do it with some zeal, with some, with some zest. And I feel an, a way to accomplish this that is a little bit easier is to take the mitzvahs that we are we doing already. Each and every one of us have mitzvahs which we do. We have different areas which talk to us more. Some of us maybe do more than others, but the point is that we all have mitzvahs that we do that mean something to us and we do them. So I feel like Getting back to our Mishnah, we say about doing, to be action, to be in action, and to have that feeling of excitement when it comes to, to Yiddishkeit. We have to look at the things we're doing already and see if we could improve them in the way we do them. To have the bren, to have the fire, to do a little more concentration, with a little bit more purity of heart. And if we, if we start off on this trajectory with the things that we do, we're doing them anyways, so might as well do them right. To try to focus on one area, one mitzvah that we do, to see if we could do a little better. Because when we do it like that, we're able to slowly refine the mitzvahs that we do and, and, and serve Hashem on a higher level. Because getting back to our Mishnah, this Mishnah is referring to somebody when it says, it's referring to somebody who doesn't maybe do the mitzvos with as much as a, a fire as he should. He does it 
He does it more haphazardly. So the idea is that when we look at our mitzvahs with the lens of, I want to do this, what I do in the most correct way, or take one mitzvah that we do and try to do a little better, it gives us, I guess, a little bit of a feeling for that mitzvah specifically. And we could build on that. We're able to do one mitzvah the right way. The next thing we know, it's two mitzvahs. And then as soon as soon, sooner than we know it, we're, raising our whole level of observance in a way that we never thought we could. And when I say level, raising a level of observance, I don't necessarily mean doing more than we're actually doing. That's great as well. But when we do the things we're doing already, we do them the best possible way. And that's also raising a level of observance. So the Mishnah continues with the, the third case, case. The third case of the Mishnah is one who studies at home but does not attend the house of study. He learns in his home, but he does not go to the Beis HaMedrash, to the study hall. So Rabbeinu Yonah comments that this is referring to one who does not go to the study hall to learn all the details of the mitzvah, but rather he performs them with his limited knowledge. That even because the Mishnah said on him, a person who learns but doesn't go, he gets rewarded for learning. So if someone stays home and learns, he gets rewarded for sure. For sure, it's if there's a choice of, of learning by yourself versus not learning because you can't go to the study hall, you learn. A person should accomplish, do what they're supposed to do. According to Rabbi Yonah, this mission, this case of the Mishnah is referring to one who learns in his own home, but because he does not go to the study hall, he does not have the, the clarity or he's very limited in his knowledge about the mitzvah. And therefore, he does the mitzvah, but he because of his lack of knowledge, because of his limited ability, he performs it in a way that it was not intended to be. He does it incorrectly. So the Mishnah is saying on him that he still gets rewarded. That somebody who learns, but yet he doesn't understand fully because of limited knowledge. Doesn't mean someone who just decides to do whatever they want to do because that's what they feel. They, they, they just decide that this is correct because this is how they're feeling. It's talking about a specific scenario where he a person is more limited. Maybe they, they understand to the scope of their ability, but they're lacking still. And they they out of the pureness of their heart, they want to serve Hashem. They want to serve God. And they do the mitzvah, but when they do it, they do it in the wrong way. Still, that person receives a word. And it's actually, the, um, there's a certain pureness to this that is actually very special. I mean, it doesn't mean that we can go now and just decide to do what we want to do. We have to follow halacha and perform mitzvahs in the way that chazal, the way that the sages enacted them, to do them according to how they were intended to be performed. But we're referring to a specific case where somebody, out of his lack of knowledge or his lack of ability, tries to perform the mitzvah with, with, out of a good place. And he does it not how it, how it was intended. And a story which is brought down to really br bring out this point is a story that's quoted um, in the Mishnah's Chachamim of the Maram Chagiz. And he writes there 
that he heard a story from a trusted student who lived in the generation of the Ariza, Rabbi Yitzchak Gloria, who was one of the great Kabbalists of his time. And the story relates how one of the Anusim, the Anusim were the people who became cut off from Judaism, who were in Spain and Portugal. And one of them, who, did, who didn't know much, came from Portugal to live in the city of Tzafas, the city of Safed. And in one of the shoals, he would daven. And one week, when the rabbi was giving a speech in the synagogue, he talked about the lechem haponim, the showbread. The showbread was brought in the Beis Amigdash in the temple every, every week. It was left from week to week. And, and, and as the Rav was relating the different halachos of the, of the showbread, he took a great sigh and he said, and now because of our great sins, we're left with nothing to set out for Hashem. Thus preventing us from have true, thus preventing us from having true blessing in our bread. So when the simple man heard these words, he went in his innocence, went home to his wife, and told her what the rabbi has said that nobody is bringing bread to Hashem because of our sins. And they decided that they would bring the showbreads. And they sifted the flour many times and they, they made sure to do it in the most pure way that they should be able to bring bread to Hashem. Not realizing that nowadays, after the temple is destroyed, we cannot bring the showbreads anymore. He didn't know it. He didn't know. And every Friday, he would go take these two freshly made beautiful loaves of bread, place it in front of the ark, leave it there, and say a short prayer to God that he accept the, the loaves of bread and find them tasty and enjoyable. And he would, and he would bring them every week. And little did he know, after he left, the shamash, the, the sexton, the assistant who would take care of the shul, would come out and see two hot loaves of bread in front of the ark. Seeing it, he would take it and enjoy it himself. And But when, we would, when he would come back for the evening services, the simple man, he would see that his loaves were gone. And he would be so happy because he thought that God had accepted and had taken his showbread. He didn't know that the, the, the gabai, the assistant, had eaten them. And this went on for weeks. Every week, he would go bring the loaves, say a short prayer, and leave very happy. And when he came back on Friday night, he would see the loaves are gone. He would thank God that his, his, his showbreads had been accepted. One week, when he came in, the rabbi was on the side, and he didn't notice him. And he did his whole procession, put the bread down, said a prayer, and started walking away. As he was sitting down, as he, I'm sorry, as he was leaving, the rabbi got very upset at him. He said, foolish man, what do you think? God eats or drinks? I'm sure that the gabai, the assistant, the sexton, he comes and eats the breads every week. What are you doing? Why are you doing this? 
And the, and the rabbi continued berating the words until the gabai had, co- had come. And he asked them, are you the one who takes the chalos every week and eats them? And he said, yes. When the simple man heard this, he began to cry. And he asked the rabbi for forgiveness for the way he had misunderstood his speech and explained that he was trying to do the mitzvah to do the commandment of lechem apanem, the lechem of the showbread. He had pure intentions to do it in the correct way, not realizing that this was a terrible sin because you can't just bring sacrifices without permit. You can't just do that today. The temple has to be standing. When this was happening, this whole story with the rabbi and this simple man, a messenger from the holy Arizal came. He told the rabbi in the name of the Arizal that the Arizal said to, that this rabbi should go home and write his last will and testament because tomorrow he's going to pass away. The rabbi was extremely shaken by this news. And he ran to the Arizal to know what he had done to, to be punished like this. And the, the Arizal told him, I have heard that you were the one who took away from Hashem his, his nachas ruach, his this pleasant, I shouldn't say pleasant spirit. That's the word. You took away from Hashem this pleasant spirit he was getting, his nachas ruach. Hashem was getting this certain pleasure. For since the time of the destruction of the Beis Amigdash, Hashem had not felt this nachas ruach, this pleasure, this nach- as he as he as he did when that simple innocent man would bring his two loaves with the purity of his heart and present them before the Aaron, thinking that Hashem was taking them. But because you stopped the man from bringing the loaves, death was decreed upon you without any hope of redemption. The rabbi heeded the warning and the time, and at the next day, at the, at the apportioned time, he passed away. So we see from the story how, how beloved it is to Hashem when a person is trying to do something right, even if he's not really doing the mitzvah, he's giving his heart to Hashem. And it's not just in ancient times where stories like this have happened. In contemporary times as well, bring down, brings down Rabbi Ruben Feinstein, during the times of communism, when simple Jews didn't know much because of the repressive Soviet regime, they took whatever little they knew and tried to apply it, often misunderstanding the actual mitzvah. But surely in the eyes of Hashem, they were creating that great nachas ruach, that great spiritual pleasure to God. And there's just a, this a interesting point which I wanted to bring out from this Mishnah. Now, the last idea which I wanted to bring out was from the last two cases of the Mishnah, which is number one, someone who goes and does is a chassid. Someone who doesn't go and doesn't study is wicked. Now, the first question you might ask is why is it that someone who goes to the study hall and does what he's supposed to be doing, right? To do mitzvot, to learn, he's righteous. Isn't he just doing what he's supposed to be doing? If I tell you to, if your boss tells you to be on time for work, 
or you have a responsibility to be somewhere at a certain time or to do something, to do a specific task. So if you accomplish that task, you're suddenly a great employee, you're doing your job. So why is it that someone who goes to the study hall and learns in the study hall is referred to as a righteous person? What did he do to gain that title as a chassid, someone who goes above the letter of the law? So the first answer which I wanted to give is the fact that if someone goes to the study hall to learn, when they could have just stayed in the comfort of their own home, it means that they want to go above and beyond. Because when a person goes to a place of study where everyone is doing it, naturally, he's going to have better understanding. He's going to learn more diligently. So someone who goes to the Besam Medrash, who goes to the place of study, is going to be called a chassid because, it, because he doesn't just want to learn. He wants to know it and be clear and be diligent. So he's going above the letter of the law. That's why the, the Mishnah refers to him as a chassid. Now, another answer which I wanted to bring out, which is I feel very, which we can all relate to, no matter who we are. You know, maybe we might say for some of this Mishnah, I'm not a Torah scholar. So I don't go to the study hall. But as I said before, and I'll say it again, every part of the Torah and every Mishnah is relatable to each and every one of us. And the answer which I wanted to say is that when this person goes to the study hall, when they could just as easily stay home, and let's say they're a big Torah scholar where they could, they'll know everything clear and they're going to get clarity, is that going to the house of study, going to the synagogue, is he's doing it not just for himself. He's doing it for others as well. And I'll explain. There's a famous story which people say that there was once a village that had 10 men. And we know in Judaism, in order to have a minion, to have a quorum for davening, you have to have 10 men in order to say Kaddish, Baruch to say certain parts of davening. And every single day without fail, they had a minion. Three times a day, 365 days a year, all the time. They never missed a minion. You would just, you would think 10 people, they should miss a minion. Maybe one guy would wake up late. Maybe one guy would miss. No, they always had a minion. Then one day, the 11th man moved into town. Everyone's so excited. Finally, they got 11th man. Our minion will be bigger. And the first morning, that the 11th man moved into town, nobody showed up to Minion. What happened? Why was it the day before they never missed a Minion for years? And suddenly, when this 11th man moved into town, nobody showed up. What happened? Did everyone just change their views of Minion? Did they change their opinions? What's going on? The answer gives us insight into a little bit into human psychology and the power of being part, the power of the individual when it comes to a, a whole. That until the 11th person moved into town, everyone realized and they knew that if they don't show up to show, there's not going to be a minion. 
So in essence, they all had to show up. They all were dependent on each other to show up. But when the 11th man moved in, so everyone thought, okay, there's 11 people. I don't have to show up now because there's 10 others besides me. The problem is everyone thought that. Everyone thought that the other guy would show up for him. So therefore, there was nobody showed up to the minion. And this is really an important point because when it comes to someone who, who learns and also goes to the study hall, meaning he's not just thinking about himself, he's thinking about others as well. Because when he goes, he's making his presence known. He's adding to the environment of the synagogue, of the, of the study hall. He's bringing, I guess, he's making positive peer pressure. More people are going to come. He's not looking, if he's not there, someone else might, might decide to not show up that night either. The point is, is, the message for us is clear. That we can't look at our decisions and our actions at, in a vacuum. That if we don't, let's say, show up to something, right, an event or to the synagogue, we should think that when we make that decision, someone else might also not be showing up now because of that, right? Because if obviously there's sometimes we're not able to go to certain good events or to the synagogue or whatever, and that's valid. Even if it's going to affect other people, we have to do certain times we, we, we're not able to do it. But when we're making those decisions, we should at least think to ourselves that, you know what, am I going to cause other people to jump ship as well? Right. And, and even when we're not able to come to something, do we go public with it and tell everybody I'm not doing this because that just causes everyone else to jump ship as well? Right. Or we try to keep it quiet. And on the flip side, when we when we are part of something, it creates a certain environment where everyone feels like they have to come for good things. And we want we want that to be for good things, for positive peer pressure. If if everyone in, in, in your community and everyone where, where you are all went to show would you feel a certain responsibility I have to show up? That's not necessarily a bad thing. That could be a good thing. It's called positive peer pressure. So the point is that when we do go, we should realize that we're having, I'm sorry, I should say this other way. We should realize number one is when, we, when we're not able to be part of the community, to be part of the seabor, the congregation, we should think of it as not just in a vacuum, that we, our decision could affect others as well. But And on the flip side, when we are, when we are able to be part of things, we should realize that our presence makes a difference. Each and every one of us are important. Each and every one of us contribute. And we're all part of the collective whole. And we should look at ourselves like that. Because when we look at ourselves like that, it gives our actions more meaning, more importance. And it probably, and it makes us recognize our own greatness as well. So it's both sides. And just to um, just to do a quick, and I think with that, and with that, I wanted to finish, and I, oh, and just, and finally, and finally, the last part of the mission is, is someone who does not go and does not study. And how we, we refer to him as Russia, somebody who is wicked. And, this just brings to mind that when somebody is totally disconnected, they're not studying, they're not going, they're in essence cutting themselves off. They're making themselves a lot harder to reach, to get back into the fold because they're not doing anything. They're not even having that, that cardiac feeling of Judaism. 
they're totally away. So the importance of just going to be part of the community, even if you don't necessarily, you're not feeling it, to be part of it because it keeps us all together. And that in itself is a very big importance to be connected, to be part of something. Because when we just don't go and don't do, that could be the worst, the worst thing. And that because a person is sort of cutting himself off and make things worse for themselves when they don't necessarily have to, if they just keep going and keeping part of things, it's very integral and very important for an individual to be part of something, to be part of a community, to be part of a synagogue, to be part of organization. And because it's much easier for someone by themselves to fall off, fall through the cracks. But when somebody's with a community and part of a group, it's a much harder thing to do. People are with you. They're together. They're going to put their hand out. They're going to hold. It's, it's one of the beauties of Judaism, how we have a such a, so, a support system for everybody. Um, and it's really a beautiful thing. We take it for granted, but we have to realize it's, it's such a special, special thing. So with that, I want to finish today's Mishnah. Um, I hope you all enjoyed. Again, if you have any questions or comments, please feel free to reach out to me at Rabbi Shlomo Cohen with a K at gmail.com. Everyone have a great day.